And they would say, well, you're just going to have to work twice as hard to prove yourself. I don't want to work twice as hard as the normally very hardworking engineers, just to be seen on an equal playing field with them. I don't want that. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. In this episode, I'm going to explore gender bias in STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, and math. And I'd like to keep this as a bit of an ongoing theme uh, for some of my podcasts in the future as well, because I think gender bias is an important issue. Now, many people will say that we've got past this. Uh, We're enlightened, we're woke, uh, gender bias is not a thing. And yet, anti-science sentiment is a growing problem in society. Why is there anti-science sentiment? It's because a lot of people aren't bought into the process of science as a path to truth and knowledge. And this, I believe, uh, based on the evidence, is wrong. Why are people reaching this conclusion? Well, women are statistically underrepresented in STEM fields. Why is this? Some people would say that they aren't interested in science. Perhaps they're biologically predisposed not to be as logical as men. I think that's bogus. I think there's a reason that women aren't entering STEM fields as much as men. I think some of it has to do with role models uh, being hidden. And I also think it's because the field is not as welcoming as it could be. I think there are barriers for women in certain STEM fields. And I think if women are driven out of science, they are going to seek alternative methods of truth. And this is harmful to society. As always, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please press like on your podcast app, send me a comment, and share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. STEM fields have traditionally been male-dominated. In 1970, men were 92% of STEM workers. Gains have been made in the interim. By 2019, men made up 52% of all U.S. workers, but 73% of all STEM workers, down from 92%. In the social sciences, women are now the majority, 64% in 2019. Women also now make up nearly half of those in all math and life and physical science occupations. This is a good thing. However, women did not make as big of gains in computer and engineering occupations, which make up the largest portion of the STEM workforce. Roughly 80% of STEM workers are in the fields of computer and engineering. Women represent only about a quarter of computer workers and 15% of those in engineering occupations. What I want to ask is why? What's driving this trend? And does society need to do more to level the playing field? Women are always less likely to choose a STEM program regardless of mathematical ability. From my early research in this, amongst those who went to university, 23% of women in the three highest categories of PISA scores, PISA stands for Program for International Student Assessment, where I was looking for my data, 
23% of women in the three highest categories of those scores chose a STEM program, compared with 39% of men in the three lowest categories of the PISA scores. Some would argue this means women just aren't as interested in STEM fields as men. But I want to know why. Why aren't they interested? Are they being dissuaded? Is there a culture in STEM fields that keeps them away and that makes them disengage? Because we want women to be just as engaged engaged with science and STEM as men. Because this helps society. Diverse perspectives are good for society. They're good for science. And science is good for society. To explore further the impact of gender and discrimination on women in technical fields, I've decided to do a few interviews with my family to get their opinions and experiences. My daughter, Claire Scott, has just graduated from Arne Prior District High School and is planning to start an environmental sciences program at McGill University in the fall. Claire graduated with top marks in her class and is going into a traditionally male STEM field, science. Claire, why did you want to go into environmental science? I think it was kind of the the perfect unity of some of my favorite things. Um, being away from people, um, hanging out in like nature, doing field research in that area, um, and also feeling like I'm making a positive impact. I see. Okay, good. Um, so science. Science is traditionally male-dominated. There are expectations amongst society about what girls should do. Um, I want to ask a little bit about what your experiences have been going through high school and what your expectations are going into a STEM field that uh, because of the, the expectations of society, how, what's the perception amongst your peers about girls going into STEM fields? Are you worried about gender discrimination? I am a little bit. Um, so far, it seems like my experiences have kind of culminated in the idea that in order to be respected and seen as some sort of equal, I actually have to be ahead of the male, my male peers in class. Um, It seems like if I ask even simple questions just for clarity or complete understanding to them, um, even just about like what the handout was detailing, um, they seem to think that I don't know anything about the subject as soon as I start asking little questions. So I have to be almost completely self-sufficient or rely on my female peers um, if I want to get any sort of clarity or respect from my male peers. So you're getting uh, a condescending kind of vibe from, from your male peers in, in the science field? Yeah, and it's kind of funny now that I have the validation that my marks were the highest in uh, my entire graduating class. Um, a lot of times I would have male peers asking other male peers around me for answers to things. And even though I was always the one who ended up giving the answer, the next, like the whole rest of the semester, they would still keep asking the male peers and I would just have to chime in because the male peers usually weren't ready to answer because they weren't done yet. <laughs> okay. So, so basically they don't recognize you as an expert in this or as a, as a, even an equal, Yeah. even though the evidence is there, they're unable to recognize that. How does that make you feel? Yeah, um, 
it's a little frustrating, especially when some of them are my friends. Um, I'm not used to it per se, because um, going into high school, you know, you, you meet more people. I, there weren't really any male peers that were on par with my marks in elementary school kind of thing. Um, but as you start to get kind of the top academic averages from each of the feeder schools coming into high school together, my friend group started being made up of more people that were kind of on par with the level of like academic intensity that I was used to. Um, so it was with people that are just kind of obviously more struggling in STEM subjects. Um, if I'm explaining stuff to them all the time, they're obviously going to recognize that I'm like, I know what I'm saying. <laughs> like I know what I'm talking about, but when you get people that are used to doing the explaining to others, they don't see that I'm doing the same thing. If I ask them to repeat what the teacher said or something, <laughs> like they're just assuming that I'm coming into this with no ideas of my own. Wow. That can be a little bit grating. I can imagine, you know, perhaps people without having the highest marks in their class would be perhaps dissuaded. Have you experienced people, you know, dissuading you from this or even, you know, openly discriminating against you? Not so much saying that like I shouldn't go into STEM because I think I do at least have the respect of most people knowing that I know what I'm doing. Um, but it was just in more individual interactions. I've had project partners um, explain the basic physics of a lab to me. Um, even though I just asked them like where they put their lab paper, like their handout, <laughs> I'm like, I don't need to know this. I, I already knew this actually. Like it, it's more of a, something that you can just pretty easily read into. It's like a surface assumption that all of them seem to make because I, it seems like they just don't have the basic comprehension that um, a girl would be able to be on par with them or even be more intelligent than them in any way. I wonder where that comes from. That this part of why I'm doing this is like, what needs to be done? How can we address this? Do you have any any thoughts? Um, I think it's definitely like, so in high school, like there were um, there's a physics teacher that led the robotics club, um, and he was pretty open about like wanting girls to join the team to because there were like women in STEM like bursaries that you could get from doing the robotics club and stuff. Um, so it seemed like there was definitely an effort to push girls towards STEM by at least the, the staff. Um, but I think it's the problems happen like in larger levels than that. Like you can push girls into STEM all you want, but that doesn't mean that the environment that they're coming into is welcoming of them or an environment that they want to stay in for their entire career. Um so I think it comes back to like some of the base systems surrounding schools and universities and the way that their like programs are structured, their environments are created. Um, and then it also just comes back. I feel like early childhood education is just so important. Um, so it's it. I think the problems do start like way back in elementary school. Um, it's a wider issue that might not just be about women in STEM. It's just kind of the perception of women in general as people with consciousness <laughs> and like deserving of respect. Um, Cause it's so used to being like either caretaker or sex object. It's like, it's still not completely, it's so deeply ingrained in society in all forms of media, 
um, it's everywhere, really. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit about what Amita Kutner said on, on our interview. Uh, they are an astrophysicist uh, who ran for the Green Party leadership of Canada, and they encountered uh, what was a cult of genius in grad school uh, that assumes that um, the high performers are male because of whatever reason, brain structure or these theories. And it really affects women who want to get into these fields because there's a huge overlap between male and female. And there's a lot of argument whether nature or nurture has an effect. And so I think that is a, is a certainly a, rec, uh, a, a good realization. I, I like to hear this, this perspective and, and what we can do about it. And it does have to start at an early age and we do have to adjust our perceptions um, to recognize that we're all people. Yeah, and it all comes back to like the, the history of science even. Like whenever you're doing projects in class about historical scientific figures, it's like the 99% of them are male except for like the one woman, the... Um, that discovered like the model of DNA, like that took the first picture of DNA and it was like stolen by her male colleagues. But it's like, a very common story. All, all of the male scientists that get the, the headlines, you know, half of them stole it from their female uh, workers. <laughs> Even though you're telling the story of like, well, she actually did it, but they stole it from her. Like we still don't see any just like base success story of a woman did this and she was able to be successful with it. It just isn't taught or it isn't recognized or it hasn't happened yet, which is also sad. <laughs> we really need to celebrate our, our female STEM role models and celebrate their achievements and get them well known because their names, you know, we have to make amends for what's happened in the past and fix these and, and, and make the the females that did the discoveries make them popular and famous, and and I think that's a huge that would hugely change the dialogue and the societal impression of women in STEM. I agree, yeah, um, and I feel like going back to more of the the more abstract ideas, I feel like there is also just this perception that femininity in itself, like to be a woman in STEM, you have to be masculine, um, and I feel like that's kind of imposed on us as like through the way that we talk through the ideas that we share. Like if I'm talking to a male peer, I'm not going to talk about my own interest, even if it's like a friend usually, um, especially if those interests are seen as more feminine. Like we talk about our shared more like male oriented interests, like video games or certain like movies or music. Um, and it just creates this kind of like entire environment that's centered around masculinity. Whenever you step into a STEM space Um even the architecture, like all of the science buildings that are erected at universities are very like concrete, hardline, brutalist in nature. Like it's not a very welcoming environment for anybody. And it's like, it's not hard to see that a woman wouldn't really feel welcome or even happy in that kind of space. Like I like windows. I like some natural light here and there. Like it's just something that makes me energized and makes me want to stay in that kind of a space. Um, and it's just, it just doesn't happen though. It's like, there's no sort of catering to any sort of feminine values because it's just, they're just not a part of STEM yet. We got to stop putting physics into the basement of the science building. <laughs> yeah. We need more windows. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, Claire. That's 
very helpful, uh, and I think hopefully uh, my listeners will learn a lot from this. I certainly uh, enjoyed talking to you as always. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. All right, I'll see you soon. <laughs> to get another opinion, I've asked my talented wife Sarah to come on the show. Sarah is an electrical and computer engineer. She's been working in industry for over a decade now. Sarah, welcome to The Rational View. Thank you for having me. So why did you want to go into engineering? It sort of started, you know, in elementary school as a kid. Um, I had a sort of natural inclination towards things, you know, math and science and patterns and things like that as a kid. And I had... Uh, wonderful parents who encouraged and supported those interests. Um, I remember my dad helping me to build small electronics as a kid, just using like batteries and motors and things to make, you know, small electronics, just like a fan or something like that, right? And my mom was always helpful in finding and encouraging me to sign up for different programs that were offered through the school and extracurricular things to support that sort of talent. Okay. Um, so were you worried at all about gender discrimination when you when you went into engineering? I mean, as a kid, no, because you're not really aware of the differences between genders. And looking back, I didn't recognize how lucky I was. But in my grade, there were probably about three or four other girls who had the same inclinations as me. And we were sort of in classes with each other all the time. And we had a really strong support system with each other. Um, to sort of encourage each other in competing in like math and science contests. And it wasn't seen as something that was uncool or that was guys only. Like we were there equal as anybody else. Okay. Um, That's good. Yeah. And growing up, we've sort of talked about this a little bit, sort of the, the idealistic 90s, right? Like where, you know, after the fall of communism and before everything went crazy at the turn of the century, um, there were a lot of programs in place that sort of supported and encouraged specifically uh, women, or I guess girls, in STEM fields, even mm -hmm. though they weren't called STEM at the time. Um, right, right. But there were a lot of programs and things like that that I participated in and had fun at in like elementary and high school level. So you felt like you were welcomed into the field that you didn't, did you feel any sort of discrimination at the time or was there any impediments to you going into that field did you have you had no no worries at all no um because it seemed like it was so strongly encouraged i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. being a kid you're not thinking about this but if you're thinking about it a little bit critically looking back you're like if they had to have these programs and support us and encourage us so hard you know maybe there was a problem down the road that you know mm -hmm, as kids mm -hmm. we're just not looking at or thinking about so you've been working in this field now for 10 years. How would you characterize your experiences as a female in the male-dominated field of computer engineering? So it's really hard to um, sort of speak about that as being different from anything else because that's my only experience, right? Sure. I am a female engineer and I have been one for over a decade now and that's what I know. So I can't compare it to, say, someone who works in a more gender equal field or someone who works in a more female dominated field. Mm -hmm. But I can say sort of contrasting my experience versus depictions in the media, right? Sure, um, that's helpful. Yeah. So I think the depictions in media 
sort of traditionally, historically have shown uh, a much more overt discrimination. Like I'm thinking um, historical dramas, like Mad Men type thing, right? Where you're, it's, it's like very overt and very obvious. You're like, oh, wow, that is definitely discrimination. Where um, things that happen in the real world are not as obvious. They're more subtle and they're less intentional, right? I don't, I think there's been a lot of educational campaigns going on for a long time that I think men are very aware of discrimination and most of them are actively choosing not to participate. Like, I think a lot of effort has been put in and I think the results kind of show that. There's not the ridiculous overt discrimination that's seen in TV and media. But having said that, it's a little more difficult to convince people of the subtle types of discrimination that do exist. Could you give us an example of, of what how you've seen subtle or you know, how the gender imbalance has Im impacted you? Yeah, I mean, I, every woman in the field will have a different story or slew of stories to share about this. Um, the sort of funniest one I've seen at my current employer was back pre-COVID. Um, everyone in the company, or in our office at least, had received this sort of corporate-wide email stating that there was a problem that needed to be solved. And they had identified this problem, they had put together a committee, they proposed a solution, and they were informing us of this trial run that was gonna be rolled out to solve this problem they had identified. So the problem they had labeled it as was um, the male washroom shortage problem. Ah, okay. Which, you know. Definitely seems, a problem. Sure, and it seems straightforward and like it makes sense. So they had, I guess, recently been in a, a spurt of hiring. They had hired a lot more people. Um, and men were facing a problem where they would go to the washroom and it was full. And they had to wait. Or they had to walk further to another washroom. And these men, you know, rightfully had mentioned this to their managers who had sort of, you know, kicked it higher up and they'd identified a real problem. This is, you know, taking up working time. These men having to wait in line for the bathroom. You know, all the women are kind of smirking at that a little bit right now. Like, we've never waited in line for a washroom before. Um, <laughs> but the problem was that this wasn't happening at a concert or at a restaurant. This was happening on corporate time, so it was costing corporate money. So they needed to fix this. Their solution was to simply change the sign on one of the women's washrooms, make it a men's washroom. That's it. We did it. Hooray, everyone. We've solved the men's washroom shortage problem. Back to work. Excellent. Right. So that's definitely a, a problem of the gender imbalance. Right, which is how I viewed it. I, I saw this as this is not a men's washroom shortage problem because it's not that there were fewer washrooms for men. There were equal numbers of washrooms for women and men throughout the building. They were always in pairs wherever they were. Um, this is really and like shocking to me that they didn't identify it as such, but it was really a female employee shortage or like a gender imbalance issue, right? You don't have enough women working here or you have too many men to women, right? Like, w Were there any women on the committee addressing this issue? Um, I don't know because I didn't actually get that high up in it. I So they had sent out the announcement that this was happening and then sort of halfway through the trial period, they sent out an email to all employees saying, you know, how is this going? Has this impacted your workday at all in any negative way, right? And I think 
what they were sort of expecting in that is for, you know, the disadvantaged women to write back and say, well, yes, it's impacted my workday and that I have to walk another 50 steps to the next washroom instead of this one, right? That's the obvious, you know, minor inconvenience we're facing. Um, but I did draft a very articulate note to them um, identifying that this disadvantages me in the way that it highlights how unimportant gender balance is to this corporation, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it shows you that, you know, women aren't valuable enough to try to solve this and to get to the root of this problem. To so solve the it. solution was not to hire more female employees uh, to balance it, but it was to transfer female washrooms to the men. Right. Which I absolutely understand, you know, the logistics and the Band-Aid solution. And, you know, like you can't just instantaneously hire more women or instantaneously change the gender of half your staff to solve this. But I understand that it's a long term problem. But the fact that, you know, this should have been identified a long time ago and there are ways to address this. And I mean, not just for this company, this company can't change the entire culture because it's a bigger thing that needs to shift. But well, many people would say that at this point we shouldn't strive for equality in the fields because women just aren't interested in the same things as men. What what we've discussed this in the past. Yeah. What's your take on that viewpoint? That's a, a difficult one because, I mean, like we sort of said at the beginning of this, I think I'm one person explaining my experiences, right? I don't, I'm not a gender studies expert. I don't have the statistics to back up things like that. But I, I mean, I had a natural inclination towards these things. I have to imagine that other women do. And it feels like there are more um, sort of societal pressures that push people one way or the other rather than you know internal motivations there seems to be a culture that um, dissuades women from going into some fields there may be some sort of cultural I, issues mm -hmm. cult of genius for example or condescension between towards women so again i can't speak on that you know clearly because i haven't studied that in depth um I'd like it if you could interview more people who have studied that and hear their stories. Me too. <laughs> um, but one of the thing I have noticed is, um, yes, there's the initial problem of getting women into the field. And I think a lot of work and a lot of effort successfully has been put in to encourage more we women to enter science and technology and math. Um, but there's, um, there's a problem keeping them there. And there are a couple factors like I've noticed and experienced um, that cause women to leave the field earlier or at a greater rate than men do. So, yeah, yeah. family, for example, uh, raising children seems to be uh, one reason that women will leave fields. And this is generally across the board. You know, they're not they don't get the support. I remember. I was watching one of the original Star Trek episodes. It was it was a bit jarring because there was this gorgeous uh, female officer, uh, and Captain Kirk was there talking to Bones, saying, and Bones said, "Yeah, Kirk, soon she's going to meet the right guy, and she's going to leave the service, and, and you'll be losing an officer." 
Yeah. So this is supposed to be a progressive show. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Back in the day, it was. Yeah, and they were highlighting... They, they didn't question the, the, the fact that the woman will be leaving to, to raise a family with a man. Right. Women work up until about 20 or 25, and then they go have families, and they disappear off the face of the planet forever, and you never see them again. They become moms, and that's it. Yeah, that's, that's a huge hurdle for women, um, because as... We've talked about before. We're very lucky here in Canada. Women can get up to a year and I think maybe a year and a half now of paid or subsidized parental leave, which is excellent and amazing. And you need that when you're starting your family. They also have a lesser utilized program in place that allows for male partners to take some of that parental leave. Um, unfortunately, I think there's a bit of a social stigma around that that discourages men from taking that time off with their families. And I think it disadvantages both men and women. Yeah, I agree. I, I highlighted this in my uh, gender gap, family gap uh, podcast early on. The fact that, you know, we need to normalize men taking parental leave and bonding with their kids and being a part of the family. And we need to, we need it. We need, in terms of getting an equality in the workplace, starts with equality of expectations for men and women. We need them to be equally expected to have uh, to raise a family and to take time off. And we don't want uh, the women specifically to be suspected of of leaving their career stream to raise a family, whereas the men are expected to stay in. That's one of the roots, I think, of inequality. I don't know if that's more prevalent in engineering. Um, you know, there does seem to be a significant difference between engineering and, and, and computer science and other fields in terms of the balance between the gender balance. And I'm, I'm not sure. Sh- I think the root of that is also includes some, some additional cultural um, aspects that, that discriminate against women's interest in that field. Yeah, um, you reminded me of something else. I remember um, a mentality that was sort of presented to me as a kid in one aspect or another um, of the idea of going into engineering, right? And going into engineering as a woman. And some people viewed me as at a disadvantage for that. And I would sort of get the message from people with that mentality. They would say, oh, you're going into this field as a minority, you know, in the general aspect right um and they would say well you're just going to have to work twice as hard to prove yourself and like they would say it with a smile and a wink and a like you can do this like it was meant to be an encouraging message well you'll just have to work twice as hard and engineers already work really hard (laughs) like (laughs) i don't want to work twice as hard as the normally very hard-working engineers just to be seen on an equal playing field with them I don't want that. That makes very much sense. And and that's (laughs) not a message that encourages everybody to join up. Right. (laughs) In fact, it would be seen as very discouraging for a lot of people. I think it was presented as a challenge, right? And I I sort of push back against that idea that, you know, they're putting up this extra challenge for you and you just have to prove yourself and that's going to make you want to do more. That's that's a very good message. And... and (laughs) I think it's something that we all have to take to heart and and examine uh, the societal preconceptions that we have that unconscious biases and uh, challenges that women have in a field where they are a minority and minimizing 
the discouragement, not not only you know the encouragement of getting people into the field, but making it so that they feel at home and not condescended to once they're there. I think are very important. Do you have any other ideas for what we could be doing? Or yeah, um, the biggest thing for me, I think, is we've talked about it before, but is encouraging men to take more parental leave um, because of the career gap women face when they take parental leave, right? Like you're taking a year or two or however many out of your career. In your prime years as being recognized as a, as a producing member of your company or whatever. Right. And then you're jumping back in and trying to get caught up and you're, you're always going to be behind on that treadmill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important and valuable for men too, for the reasons you've highlighted, right? Like if men take time off and spend time at home with their kids alone while their wife is out working, you know, talking about this type of relationship, um, they get more ownership over things like, um, the kids' lives and household chores, and they become a more productive and contributing member to the household at home too, right? Um, and True. then they, they form those bonds with their children that really are helpful in their longevity, right? Um, when men retire, they're often lacking some of the same um, social bonds that women have of the same age, right? And those are the bonds that help sustain you throughout your years. Yeah, definitely. The, the life expectancy difference is, is potentially part of the family gap that men experience as, as being ostracized from their children more than women uh, in general. So yeah, those are, those are good ideas. Another, another thing that actually came up recently for me was I, I gave a, a talk at the, the CAP um, annual meeting, Canadian Association of Physicists. And one of the things I highlighted was the career path for academics. Most physicists leave academia. There's just not enough positions. And the ones that do stay in academia have to go through a grueling postdoctoral phase after their PhD for, you know, several three-year placements where they're being paid peanuts. Basically, they, they aren't given a salary where they can raise kids. Um, and basically, if you decide you, you have a choice at that point of your career, you know, you're, you're basically of childbearing age and you want to start a family, you can go on to become an, to try to become a professor and get into the academia or you can have a family. And it seems like an either or choice right. for most people. And, and if, if you're a couple, then, you know, typically the man is the one that will do the career and the woman is the one that will sacrifice that career for, for children. Yeah. And I think that binary situation <clears throat> needs to be addressed also at the the level of how do we how do we uh, define career paths and we define career paths that are equal for both sexes i i like that you bring that up because i think we're going to see that sort of explode on a macro scale with the um, <clears throat> impact of the pandemic right when there has been a greater burden placed on household responsibilities right kids are at home or they're they have different programs going on they're not in school as much or they can't go to daycare where a lot of families are going to have to make that really tough choice of do we sacrifice one of our careers to sort of keep our family going throughout this and like the majority of families they're going to be in the situation where the men's making more or slightly more than the woman and we're going to lose a lot of women in the workforce we're going to set back all those, um, all that progress we made 
in getting women into the workforce. And I'm, I'm really um, sort of scared, actually, to see how this plays out. Yeah, the COVID uh, situation has been uh, a significant impact on equality in the workforce. I think a a lot more women left the workforce than men to deal with the impacts of of having kids at home uh, all the time. Did you just mansplain my point back to me? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) So I think that brings us to the end of our time slot. I love you. (laughs) I love you too. Thank you very much for coming on The Rational View. I appreciate your, as always, I appreciate your viewpoint. And thank you for sharing with our listeners. Thank you very much for having me. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my patron page at patron.podbean.com slash the rational view. And this month only, that's July 2021, if you leave a review of the Rational View podcast on iTunes, I'm going to give you an entry into a free draw for a Rational View t-shirt. Share your review with me on Facebook and I'll know who it is and I'll put you in the draw. Thanks for listening.